Hello and welcome to Red Couch Manx. I'm Vivek Jacob. Carl Mascarenas is not here. Weekday match. He's busy with work for his day job. The way we're tag teaming of late, you might think that we're submitting our names in for WrestleMania coming up, but that won't be the case. In for Carl, we have Michael Singh, our regular sub, our super sub. Uh, thanks for joining us, Mikey. I like it. Super sub. First guy <laughs> off the bench. You know, I can make an impact if you bring me on and I'll, I'll help make that difference. But again, as I said in the past, big shoes to fill here with for Carl. And, you know, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me back. <laughs> we are recapping Manchester United's first leg quarterfinal Europa League win over Granada 2-0. Marcus Rashford opened the scoring in the 31st minute before Bruno Fernandes wrapped it up in the 90th with, of course, a penalty. <laughs> Fernandes wasn't a great penalty. He got lucky. We'll get to that a bit later. But looking at the starting lineups, the formations, both sides in a 4-2-3-1 Probably the one thing that was going to be interesting to see was who was in net for United. David De Gea comes in for Dean Henderson. And Mikey, I'm just wondering, have we seen now a complete reversal of roles where as opposed to the start of the season, David De Gea was getting the league fixture, the Champions League fixture, and then you have Dean Henderson for the cup fixtures, the FA Cup, the League Cup. Now we're seeing Dean Henderson get the league fixtures and David De Gea move to the cup fixtures. Right. What do you make of that? So I hope not, first of all, to answer <laughs> your question. I, I hope that those roles haven't reversed. But it's interesting that we're now seeing that happen because, like you said, usually the backup goalie is the one who usually plays these cup ties or even the Europa League matches. We've seen Romero in the past step in mm-hmm. and, and you know fill that role. Dean Henderson is, he's all right. <laughs> he's solid, but he's no David De Gea in his prime. And I get it that De Gea hasn't been at his best. And I get it that United are talking about shedding some money from that goalkeeper position. It just seems like we're, we're doing our club legend a little bit dirty here because, you know, how many times was David De Gea the Manchester United player of the season? It, it's a, Four times. Four times, exactly. So that's just says something about his stature at this club. Um, I think there's still an opportunity for De Gea to win his job back because, like I said, Dean Henderson hasn't been perfect. He's been all right. He's been solid. But there's still room to improve there. That being said, if if the rumors are true and United are ready to move off David De Gea, then perhaps, yeah, like, you know, Dean Henderson is the guy. Let's start now. I, I guess I agree with it if they've decided to move on from De Gea. I agree with that full-fledged. Let's get that going now. Um, but that being said, I personally hope not because I think De Gea is a way better goalie. Mm. I do agree with you that David De Gea at his best was absolutely world-class. It remains to be seen whether Henderson can be someone who's a top three, top five goalkeeper in the world. What I will say though, is I do like the fact that coming into the season, it was clear that David De Gea was the number one. Uh-huh. He had every opportunity to show that he had worked his way back to his best and then say, hey, okay, this is no longer a conversation. But I don't think his performance performances have reflected that. And so I do think when I look at both of them as goalkeepers, it's hard to pick between them on where they stand in their form today. Uh-huh. But 
I feel with the way Manchester United play, I think Henderson has emerged this season as the better fit. I think his communication has been better. I think his ball distribution has been better. And I think the biggest factor, because of some of the struggles that Lindelof has had aerially, the fact that Henderson has been more prone to stepping off his line and coming to collect balls, I think that has made him stand out. It's interesting. I was reading earlier uh, that apparently, based on the rumors, Solskjaer actually wanted to move Henderson into that number one spot twice earlier in the season. Mm -hmm. And both times, David De Gea had a bad reaction and so was persisted with. And I think the way it looks, uh, uh, you know, at least from us on from afar, him leaving for Spain to be rightfully so with his wife for the birth of his child was the final nail in the coffin. And I think we are seeing a steady transition towards Dean Henderson taking over as the number one. And let's face it, those wages, those are extremely high wages uh, that if you're not at the top of your game as a goalkeeper are difficult to warrant. That's so cruel. At the birth of his child, that's when we're gonna. That's when we're gonna cut him off. At that point, that's the final straw. <laughs> that's really funny. Okay, but let me let me throw it around. And pose pose this question to you. Mm-hmm. United are in the. Let's say they get to the Europa League final. You're, there's one game that they have to win. Who's the goalkeeper that you're you're going with in that one game? Let's, let's take away Europa League because I know Deva De Gea is kind of like aligned with Europa League now. Just say any final, one game. You need to win this game for whatever is at stake. Do you put Deva De Gea in it or do you put Dean Henderson in it? So, yeah, this is a really interesting question because I still think it comes down to the way these competitions are being split. And so if you were to ask me, it's the final you know, day of the league and United have to get points match 38. I'm going with Dean Henderson, but now because of the reversal of roles that I think is happening, if it's the Europa or Europa cup final, I am going with David De Gea. Okay. Net. That's a cop out. That's a cop out. You know <laughs> what I'm trying to, I don't care about which competition it is. Let's okay. say one game you had to choose. You're the manager of Manchester United it's just a winner, winner, go home. Let's say it's a right new now, competition. Yeah, I'm, I'm going with Dean Henderson. Dean Henderson is your guy. And I think that's because on form, it's extremely difficult to pick between the two. And the thing that tips it over to Dean Henderson for me is I just think his teammates have more confidence in him. Interesting. Have the results backed that up? I don't have the numbers off by hand. I don't know if you would either. I'm just wondering if those sort of results would back that up because for whatever reason, when I, when I think Dean Henderson, I always think at least one goal is getting conceded in the match and I could be (laughs) wrong about that. I haven't looked in the numbers again, but I, I just feel like I, again, I guess Daya is not really much better this season, Yeah. but based on his history, based on his potential, again, he's still what, 20, 28, 29 years old, something like that. I still think that Daya has some of his best years ahead of him. So David De Gea is 30. He'll be 31 in November. Right. Uh, so 
again, I, I, still I agree with that, you that yeah. as a goalkeeper, especially that's extremely young goalkeepers. I mean, we see them time and time again, go age 37, age 38. I mean, I'm pretty sure Oliver Kahn went till he was 40. So, <laughs> Shout out uh, Edwin Van Der <laughs> Exactly. So I definitely think there's a, a longer longevity when it comes to goalkeepers. But I just think David De Gea was given the opportunity to rediscover his best. And he hasn't been able to do that. And I think on some part, I do feel there is a, a part of me that feels that he's ready to move on. Yeah. You know, I, I think on some level, you know, e- even if there was some sort of ultimatum given to him before he decided to go to Spain, that it was like, Hey, we need you here. If you don't want to be here, that's perfectly fine, but we're going to make the business decisions that we have to make. Um, and I feel like on some level he was probably like, yeah, I'm cool with it. I think at this point, I think he's resigned to sort of, He's done having to fight for his place and sort of stake yeah. his claim. It's like, hey, I've been a four-time player of the year at this club. I've, Where's my respect? You know, this is, yeah, exactly, right? So I think yeah. on some level with seeing all the press and the way Henderson gets pumped up, I think he's ready to move on and get a fresh start somewhere else. Based on all the rumors that have been happening ever since that, that fax machine incident, I don't even know what year that was, <laughs> but it seems like every year after that, David De Gea is linked to a move back to Spain. It's clear that you know, at when whenever that move was transpiring, that's where his heart was. That's where he wanted to be. And obviously mm-hmm. at United at the time aren't the club that they are now. But that being said, it always felt like he has he's had one foot out the door. So yeah. I, I, I don't disagree with that whatsoever. Um I think, you know, whenever that time does come and David De Gea does move on, I won't be surprised. I wouldn't have been surprised for the last five years. yeah i won't be surprised but i will absolutely be grateful i think regardless of when his time comes to move on i think the one thing that shouldn't be forgotten is how great he has been for this club Uh like you said he's been a true legend of this club i have nothing but respect for everything he's accomplished him his form tailing off from being a complete world-class goalkeeper a top three goalkeeper in in the world the those these last couple of years do nothing to take away from that and frankly it remains to be seen if henderson can be a top three goalkeeper in the world exactly exactly uh let's move on to the the goal that united scored 31st minute it was actually granada that just had a chance and soldado shoots it wide henderson picks up the ball plays it short really quickly lindelof takes a couple of paces forward, sends a long ball all the way downfield, finds a running Rashford in stride, perfect touch to bring it down, slots it past the keeper, gives United the lead. The reason I'm going straight to the goal is because the first 30 minutes, there was pretty much nothing really that went on for United. (laughs) There was maybe one opportunity that I'm thinking back to the sixth minute where Pogba did a great job driving out deep, in United's half and uh, teeing up Rashford and and he was more wasteful there but here no problems 1-0 gives United the lead that goal made Rashford the first United player with back-to-back seasons of 20 plus goals since Wayne Rooney in 08-09 and 09-10 
we've had conversations about his finishing, how he needs to become a better header of the ball, how he needs to develop his left foot. That being said, he's clearly done a lot with his right. Yeah. Uh, again, <laughs> I, I sort of defended Rashford when we brought up that topic. I, I think he is he's a very good finisher, and just because he creates a lot of chances, it's, it's highlighted a little bit more when he does miss a few of those. No no striker in the world is finishing 100% of their chances. But for Marcus Rashford, I don't think it's very often where he finds himself one-on-one with the keeper and he, he's making a mistake. If anything, he's probably he's probably the player that I'd bet on to score for United if they had one person in, in that prime position. I would say Marcus Rashford is probably the one that's going to slot that clinically in the back of the net. He has the ability... Over Cavani? I don't even know if I consider Cavani a United player at this point. (laughs) (laughs) You know know what is hilarious? I don't know if you saw this, but Solskjaer admitted uh, that he thinks after Cavani, currently the best finisher at the club is Luke Shaw. Uh, That's banter. That's straight (laughs) banter. There's no way. (laughs) He said that he has the second best finishing technique on the team hey only only knows his finishers so i, I won't <laughs> i won't you know i, I guess I will, i'll take that back maybe there is a way but in terms of like game action in terms of you know getting the opportunities so far i've seen this year i think rashford i i tip my hat to rashford as the best finisher on united right now um with all due respect to cavani just because we haven't seen much cavani this year Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't seen him have the opportunities enough to put the ball in the back net for me to say, okay, he's a he's going to be a clinical finisher for Manchester United. Obviously, his past speaks volumes for how good of a finisher he is. I'm sure he's done it well in training, but on this particular side, I just don't see it enough from Edison Cavani. So, I mean, if it if it was that one chance, perhaps Cavani Rashford the toss up, but it is certainly those two in my opinion. So you let me. F- you know, sort of flip a question that you had for me a bit earlier mm-hmm. to you now. Say it's a 50-50 opportunity, all right? So we're not talking about guilt-edged opportunity. Yeah. 50-50 chance. Marcus Rashford or Mason Greenwood? Who would you rather have ooh, the ball at their feet? Are we coming down the left wing or right wing? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Greenwood's fine with either. Greenwood's fine with either, but I'd rather have him come down the, the right wing, you know, kind yeah, of his left no, side. I mean, I guess, yeah. Because he has the ability not only to, you know, th- uh, his eyes go far post and he just all of a sudden darts at near post. He's so good at that. He's like, okay, one- so let me put it this way. Yeah. Rashford. 50-50 chance on the left wing. Greenwood, 50-50 chance Ooh, on the right wing. I think I'm taking Mason Greenwood. Well, there you go. <laughs> I think I'm taking Mason Greenwood there um, because, hey, that's his sweet spot. We've seen him do it so many times where Mason Greenwood cuts in and either he curls one far post or he gives the keeper the eyes and, and cuts one back near post. Um, he's like playing chess while everyone else is playing checkers when it comes to finishing. It seems like he's one step ahead. Um, that being said, like if it's, a 50 50 sure but if it's a clear-cut opportunity um, i'm giving that ball to rashford is like we saw today he, he's clinically able to consistently slot the ball away again I'll, there aren't many chances where he's one-on-one with the keeper and he misses um he does have this ability to you know add an extra bit of venom onto his strike which i like in, in sort of a 50 50 kind of chance um but that being said from out there i'll tip my hat there to greenwood and, and give him that 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 nod 
All right, fair enough. How about you? Me, I'm I'm going uh, Greenwood. I think uh, Greenwood hasn't had the history that Rashford does, yeah. but just from the eye test, Greenwood's ability to finish his his striking ability. I think, I think when I look at that, I'm like, he's someone who has the potential to be a world class finisher. Yeah, and I don't quite see that with Rashford yet. I think the one thing that Rashford definitely has over Greenwood is in terms of his movement, in terms of his trickery, he's able to get in himself in position way more often. Yeah. And so while Greenwood's conversion rate might be higher, I feel like Rashford's chance creation rate is way higher at this point. Agreed. He Rashford's more direct at this point than, than Mason Greenwood right. is. And he's stronger, he's faster, but like you said, that could come a time. Mason Greenwood sometimes we forget he's what eighteen, nineteen. <laughs> he's a kid. It's ridiculous. But that being yeah. said, like let's not take anything away from Rash. Rashford's still a kid. He's still younger than <laughs> yeah. both of us. So. <laughs> That's, <laughs> true. That's very true. Now the other side of that goal is Lindelof, Lindelof teeing Rashford up perfectly. Yeah. Lindelof, I think, has hit a really nice patch of form, and I think things are setting up quite nicely for him to finish the season strong. Obviously, alongside Maguire picks up the clean sheet in this one. And when you look at some of the turmoil uh, that's been going on, some of the chaos uh, between Eric Bailly and the club in terms of his extension, Eric Bailly, obviously, now he's down with COVID and we hope he recovers completely right. as soon as possible. But the fact that he's been out of the lineup well before that and seems to be out of favor, it's huge what Lindelof is doing right now. Huge. And like you said, he has that ability to pick his head up, pick a pass, uh, long ball, short, you know, break lines. Vinter Lindelof's always had that. And we've seen this before where he's rounded into this solid, um, solid form, as you've pointed out. Uh, he's someone who United have, can trust at the back there. That being said, I still think that we need to improve our center back position. Agreed. And I still think 100%. I still think Lindelof is the casualty there when we do need to go out and improve our center back position. Um, could he could he have a strong finish to the season? Absolutely. With that being said, he I still think we go out and improve that center back position because there's still always are you there's still always a question mark there with Lindelof. No matter how consistent he's been. There's still always that chance in the back of my mind where I'm thinking, okay, this one's going to get by Victor Lindelof. Um, he is less prone to making a lot of those egregious errors that we've seen early on as Manchester United career. He's definitely gained a lot of confidence, gained a lot of composure, but still, <laughs> I don't know what it is, but still something about Victor Lindelof doesn't make me completely settled as a Manchester United fan watching that back line. I think the biggest thing is Aerially, right? I think Aerially, he's yeah. still prone to getting beat, getting bullied, whatever it may be. And so I think that's the area of concern. So he's playing well, but I'm 100% with you. I think he's, you know, especially with Maguire being on one side, I think he's ideally the backup center back on the other side. Right. And the biggest credit to Bai this season, I will say, is the fact that during his great run of form, we saw that his prototype fits alongside Maguire much better than Lindelof's. Mm -hmm. 
And so when United go looking for that center back, find that defender with pace, with great tackling ability, uh, with, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, he's wiry strong. Yeah. So, you know, you look, you look at Maguire and obviously he's someone that can bully you, but with Bai, he's someone who can more than hold his own. Yeah. And he's got the athleticism to back it up. Exactly. And so I think in terms of the prototype that I would like to see, don't find a better version of, uh, of Lindelof, find a better version of Bai. Mm-hmm. The thing about Victor Lindelof too, is that he's really good at with the ball at his feet. He's very yes. good at that. But everything else, he's really mediocre at. Mm-hmm. Like winning the ball in the air, he's not great. Tackling, he's not the greatest. Uh, pace, he's not the greatest. So besides the fact that he he's good at, at, with getting his head up and, again, the ability to break lines with a single pass, that's great that he can do that. But he gives a little, little bit of something else off because, I, I, don't know, I, I guess not because, but that's just through the, through the type of player that he is, is that... He has that ability to pass, but everything else isn't the greatest. So I agree with you completely, Eric Bailly. I mean, you know how high I am on an Eric Bailly and the, mm-hmm. the type of player that he is. He could be. Um, I think we need someone like that who is very athletic beside Harry Maguire, someone who can cover a lot of ground, but also someone who's also uh, you know, really good in the air, really good tackler, a strong presence. And maybe I'm, I'm making the perfect wish list there for an ideal prototype of a center back who kind of can do everything. But if you're Manchester United and you aspire to be one of the greatest clubs in the world, that's what you have to shoot for. It's no longer good enough where you have Victor Lindelof as your number two center back. Cause yeah. again, that's just not good enough if that's where you, where you want to be on the world stage. Mm-hmm. Other than that, in this match, there wasn't too much to really touch on in terms of events. If anything, there was one thing that really made my eyes pop. It was the 58th minute when Maguire uh, had the ball deep and he, drove all the way towards the edge of the box. He even gave one player a feint and kept going. <laughs> and I was like, you fell for that <laughs> from Harry Maguire? <laughs> we saw that early on in his Manchester United career a lot, where Harry yeah. Maguire was stepping forward, carrying the ball, almost trying to you know live up to that 80 million price tag. He was trying yeah. to, to show that you know I'm not just a center back. I'm one of the world's best center backs. And We've seen less and less of that from him, but it's good to see that you know he did make that run. And if, hey, if you're gonna if you're gonna get done by Harry Maguire, I think you need to look at yourself in the mirror after the game, and hopefully you have a short memory because that one could haunt you for a while. I, I think the only other thing that's really worth touching on, obviously, 90th minute Bruno seals matters with a penalty, a weak penalty, probably the weakest penalty I've seen him hit, and mm-hmm. absolutely should have been saved by Ruiz Silva. In fact, I'm going to give Ruiz Silva the Beckham boot just solely based off that save. And and the reason I say that is basically the next topic I want to get into is if there was one thing Granada really made United look silly with in this match, it was their dark arts and their manipulations of the fouls and uh, basically their trickery of the ref and you know, embellishing when they needed to and all all that type of thing and drawing the fouls the way they did. I felt like United showed a lot of naivety when it came to that. Yellow cards were handed out left, right, and center. So now you're going to have Scott McTominay, who picked up a yellow, miss the second leg. Luke Shaw picked up a yellow. He will miss the second leg. Harry Maguire picked up a yellow. He will miss the second leg. Jeez. 
And so you look at that potential save on the penalty. If it was 1-0 going back into the second leg and those three players are missing, you're saying, hey, there's a window open here for Granada. But now that second goal, a second away goal, it makes it that much tougher. Is this something that you've noticed with United over the course of the season where you feel like they still have to grow into these big European competitions and show that maturity, show that... Because we've seen sort of flashes of it, right? Like they start off great in the Champions League, win their first two matches against the two toughest teams, then go to Istanbul and lose when they should show more maturity there. Little bit of naivety when uh, they're playing PSG in that fifth match where they're down 2-1 and... You know, they go for it a bit too much and concede a third goal, which makes things that much more difficult for them heading into that final game against Leipzig. And then obviously the naivety in that match to go down 2-0 so early in the match as they did. Yeah. Just that overall maturity in cup competitions, in European competitions especially, is that something that concerns you? You or know, is that part of the process? Yeah, I think that's what more I was I was going to get to, is that I think it's still part of the process. I think United are still growing into the side that they can potentially be. Um, and, you know, whenever we do face a Spanish club, I get, like, flashbacks to facing <laughs> Sevilla last season or, you know, the 2017-2018 like Champions League. Where they... Nani getting a red against uh, Real. Oh my god, yeah. Let's not even go there. Because that red was... Yeah, I don't know about that one. But anyways, <laughs> back to what I was saying, is that United still have a lot of growing left to do under under this manager. They still have a lot of growing left to do as, as a squad. I've been saying that as many times I've been on here, is that this is still very, very young team. I was more confident with yes. them heading into this tie than I have been in recent memory. Because I think... They're starting to find that consistency. They, they've shown it in the league, um, and their ability to you know snag a late goal when they need to. I think that's a sign of maturity. It shows that they you know they're never counting themselves out, and they always believe in themselves. It's not quite Fergie time, but you know I, I'm not losing confidence in this side's ability to all of a sudden you know snag a snag a winner when they need to, and especially against sides they deserve to beat. There aren't many times where United are now slipping up against the weaker side. There, of course, that's still going to happen. I think that happens against with every club in the world. Yeah, but the best, especially clubs, in a season like this, exactly. And the best clubs, though, are the ones who are able to mitigate that. And so far this this year, United have done a great job at mitigating that. They've picked up the points for the most part again where they've needed to, mm-hmm. and that's why I was pretty confident heading into this one. Yeah. Um, of course. As you said, if that game finishes one nothing, I think then those concerns start to creep in for that second leg. I'm like, okay, here we go again. Is this another crazy fixture where United find a way to blow it? But now that Bruno, you know, got that second goal, they're up two nothing, two away goals. I'm confident heading into that next leg that you know United will be able to do the job and take this home. Yeah, and the one yellow I forgot to mention was Paul Pogba, and that was due to some naivety from Aaron Juan Bissaka. He mm. passed it to Pogba under pressure, where there was literally nothing Pogba could do with it. So he ends up giving the ball away literally as soon as he touches the ball because he was that much under pressure. And so he commits a cheap foul to stop 
Granada from advancing and he picks up a yellow. Fortunately, he wasn't on the list of players who would miss the next match. That would have sucked. So, <laughs> yeah. But you can see why uh, Solskjaer decided to pull him off uh, in, I, I believe it was the 74th minute. Because you can't have too many players on a yellow out there. And then, you know, you pick up a red and then all of a sudden things get really tricky. Right? Yeah. And eight minutes in too is when he picked up that yellow card. So mm-hmm. he did well to play the rest of that match without you know, finding his name in, in the book. So credit to Paul Pogba there. Yeah. Now, there's a couple of awards left for this one. Uh, I, I'm looking at Lindelof for the Canton Collar. You know, obviously, Rashford, that was that was a really nice goal that he scored. But I think to collect a clean sheet, to be solid the whole way through, to set up the goal the way he did, Usually when United are able to clean, uh, have a clean sheet, I would want to lean towards the defenders and the goalkeepers because, let's face it, that's a job that never gets enough credit. Mm-hmm. So I'm happy to go with Lindelof. For the noisy neighbor, there were two players who really impressed me. One was Kennedy, and the other was Yangel Herrera. And I thought both were a threat going forward. Yangel Herrera obviously uh, more of a defensive responsibility. So he was covering when he needed to. Kennedy, you know, the, the one criticism I will make is that the several times he did shoot, it was always straight at the keeper. And okay. so there was no real test for David De Gea. And so I think I edge it towards uh, Herrera for the noisy neighbor. Is it just because he shares the same name as, you know, a former Manchester United great and Andrew Herrera <laughs> or what? <laughs> I mean, he also he also came the closest to scoring, even though it was by accident. He was trying to vo- cross on the volley. It hits his shin and hits De Gea's left post. This was in the 41st minute. And so obviously he's trying to send the ball across, but it ends up going off his shin towards goal. And De Gea initially is trying to cover for the cross and then has to slide over. I think he just about would have got there. But it definitely caught him off. And man, you know, that would that would have really sucked for De Gea because obviously, you know, he, he any chance that there is to jump on him right now, I feel like it will be taken advantage oh, of. Oh, yeah. And, and so uh, an unfortunate situation like that, they definitely would have done him dirty. But, you know, luckily that didn't go in and United have the clean sheet uh, to carry over into the second leg. And Kennedy there, that's Kennedy who used to play for Chelsea, is it not? I believe that's the same Kennedy. Yeah. I think he made the the full transfer over there. Oh no, he's actually there on loan from Chelsea. So mm-hmm. hey, perhaps we'll see a little bit more of Kennedy, and that's a good shout because he is someone I think Chelsea were really high on. I think they gave him quite a few opportunities to sort of find his footing, and he never really took advantage. If he does, you know, regain that confidence here with with Granada, then come back to the Premier League. You never know. Maybe we'll be hearing a lot more about Kennedy. So great shout there. And I think, yeah, we should give De Gea a little bit more love for that clean sheet because, like you said, we were were quick to talk about all the blunders that De Gea makes, but not so quick to talk about the fact that, you know, he he kept the clean sheet today. So shout out David De Gea for that clean sheet for sure. And clean uh, clean catches every time. All those shots from long distance, it was collected no problem. So his handling was on point in this one. I think that just about wraps it up for this match. We can get into... United's next match coming up Sunday, April 11th, a big one away to Tottenham Hotspur, a meeting with Jose Mourinho, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> gets the blood flowing. And United, you know, I don't know if they'll have revenge on their mind, but they've definitely got some making up to do for that 6-1 defeat early in the season. Oh, man, that just, you took me back there. Why'd you have to do that to me? <laughs> United were rolling two into that game, and then all of a sudden, dang, and it had to be to the hands of Jose Mourinho, too. Um, <laughs> and this is this is United's biggest match of the season so far. So maybe we will get that answer to that question. Who does get the start? Is it Dean Henderson or is it David De Gea coming off a clean sheet? Because yeah. I I think it's a 50-50 chance right now. It could go either way. You might have to t- uh, give Dean Henderson the nod because he has been consistently playing Premier League games. But that being said, De Gea missed time technically because he was away for the birth of his child. So, I mean, if he's, if he's hot there, you know, playing that Europa League, I could see De Gea kind of sneaking in there and, and getting getting a run there, especially in such a big fixture. And if they want to put the rumors to bed too, but that's a big if. Both these sides are obviously sides that are very much in form. So it, it should make for an entertaining bout. I think Tottenham are coming off a 2-2 draw to Newcastle, but prior to that, I think they won three straight in the Premier League. They really should have won that game. Yeah, definitely should, should have won that game. Giving away that equalizer late. Mm-hmm. That was not a good look. You know, I, I feel like Tottenham... They still haven't, you know, completely turned things around. It's really been up and down. Like they had that loss to Arsenal uh, recently as well. Um, they obviously before, you know, it, it's a, it seems a little while away now. But they had that three 0 loss to Dinamo Zagreb. Uh, yeah. So, you know, it, it's definitely tense times with Tottenham. I feel and. Who would have thought, you know, especially initially when we were talking about them as title contenders and the way they stomped all over United at Old Trafford with that 6-1 win, uh, that they're in the position that they're in now. Yeah. It seems like they're in more of a win now. Uh, well, uh, more of a must-win situation. So how do you th- how do you think that'll play out? Do you think, uh, you know, Jose is going to go in with the same tactics <laughs> where he's going to sit back a little? Because... Let's face it, I think that's where, if anything, Solskjaer has struggled a little bit, right? Like, when he gets to play his preferred counter-attacking style, that's when you see United at their best. Agreed. But when United are the ones that have to set the tempo, really be the ones to dictate the match, that's when they still struggle a little bit. It's it's going to be a great, great match because, like you said, I still do expect Mourinho to sort of park the bus there at the back and play off the counter. Uh, which is what, of course, Manchester United love to do. But United have also grown a little bit this season in that they have been able to find these goals when they need to, even if sides are parking the bus against them. Have they done it against a side as quality as Tottenham yet, where a team's sitting back and waiting for them to come? I'm not too sure. But again, I think that's why this, that's what makes this match so exciting, because United have shown glimpses that they're able to do that. It's, again, a a further sign of their maturity. Um, And this is going to be a great measuring stick. I think we're going to see a desperate Tottenham side because obviously they wanted to get into the top four. And I think they're sitting just, what, two points out of it right now, something like that. Um, So they're going to be really desperate if they want to, you know, get some Champions League football. They're sitting three points back with the same amount of games from West Ham. So... It's going to be an interesting, and if United win this game, I think they they come comfortably seal their spot in in the in the Champions League next season. So it's going to be both sides really going for this, I'd say. So that's why you know the more I talk about this, the more hyped up I'm getting for this match because it's a really really big one. 
(laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, no doubt it's a big one. You know, United are that much closer to wrapping up second place and that much closer to wrapping up a spot in the top three, which is vital because then that means you don't have to play those qualifying rounds for the Champions League if you finish fourth. Yeah. This could be a big three points if United can secure it. Obviously, we've seen their away form this season has been incredible. So you'd think that in some ways that that favors them. Starting lineup. We're going to save the goalkeeper for last because that's the (laughs) biggest question mark. Rashford got subbed off in this match. I think he'll get the start. Uh, I think that was a bit of preservation there. I think he'll get the start. I think Cavani comes back into the side. Interesting. Uh, in in for Daniel James. So I think he'll be up top. I think Greenwood will be on the right side. And actually, I changed my mind. I think we might see Daniel James again on the right side. Why is that? Because Take me through your thought the last, process there. Because, Green, because Greenwood's played the last two fixtures. He started the last two fixtures. I'm trying I'm trying to think of the last time he started three fixtures in a row. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's very true. But maybe now we're seeing that time where they're turning the page with Greenwood because they've said that any sort of reinforcements, I don't know if they said, but I read that any sort of reinforcements they bring in, they want yeah. to be around Greenwood and make yeah. sure it complements Greenwood. So maybe mm-hmm. this is the time where they're sort of handing him the keys. It's been sort of a long time coming. I think we should give him a little bit of a longer leash. Yeah. Granted, yeah, sure, he's young, but... Hey, man, free the young guns. That's what I'm all about because I think some of these young players, these next-gen players, they think the game differently. And the quicker that you can integrate that sort of mentality into your side, I think the quicker you can get a leg up on your opposition because you're thinking that much quicker. You're thinking that much different than, than the traditional sort of so- soccer match, traditional sort of soccer player who's expecting all of it already. Um, I like the sort of elements that Greenwood brings. He adds a little bit more of a finishing touch to, to a match. I mm-hmm. think I like Daniel James' leg off the bench. And, you know, United aren't, aren't a team that's just scoring a lot of goals right now. So anytime we can add a little bit of extra firepower up front, um, I'm all for it. But that being said, like you said, he's played two games in a row, and I wouldn't be surprised to see our boy Daniel James back out there again. <laughs> okay, so you're going Greenwood. I'm Greenwood the start. With you, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll go with James. Uh, oh, not with you, then. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're both on the same page with Bruno. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Behind him, I think this is where... Don't say it. I think Scott gets in because of the fact that Solskjaer now knows that he can't use him for the second leg. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Scott, Scott's so, in there. I just want to know who you're putting beside Scott. Oh, Pogba, no question. Thank you. Because if I heard Fred come out of your mouth, me and you would have had some issues there. Because <laughs> the quality that Paul Pogba brings, he's one of a few difference makers on Manchester United. They have a handful of difference makers, and you throw Pogba into that mix, he makes the side so much better. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, then we've got the four at the back. I don't anticipate any changes there. I think it's going to be Juan Bissaka, Lindelof, yeah. Maguire, Luke Shaw. Especially now, you know, Maguire and Luke Shaw are going to get their break in the second leg, so... Exactly. Might as well burn him out. <laughs> exactly. And then we get to the goalkeeper. And we know who you're picking because you already answered this question earlier, no? Yeah, I'm going Dean Henderson. Yeah. I'm going Dean Henderson. I think that that is going to be the choice. I think just looking from afar, that seems to be the way things are playing out. And I think this is just a, a natural progression towards next season, even though, you know, I may not 100% agree with it. 
yeah, that's sort of where I'm at. Is if I had to guess, I would say Dean Henderson probably gets the gets the net. But that being said, I, I'm not too happy about that because I mean it's fine, but I'd rather to hang <laughs> in there. Both keepers, you know, they're solid. Both of them are solid keepers. I just, I don't know if I have the soft spot for De Gea. Maybe I'm just, you know, a little bit biased there. But for me, whatever reason, I, f- I feel like his ceiling's so much higher, and I still think his best years are ahead of him, even though he has gone through this this rough patch, and it's relatively rough too. Let's like, I think that that's an important point to make is that it's not the standard at which De Gea was setting when he was arguably the top two goalkeeper in the world, but Absolutely. he's he's not. He's not by any means a, a bottom feeder when he is no. struggling. No, I mean, I like mean? I said, even with his struggles, like I would say it's hard to pick between him and that, Henderson. That's what I'm saying. And so like, even with his struggles, I can't say that Henderson is definitely the better keeper. That And that's my point is that I think De Gea's ceiling is just so much higher. He's at his like almost floor right now. Um, so, but as you mentioned, if it's like a transition towards next season, I'm all for it. Let, let's just get this over with you know rip the band-aid off let's just do it as quickly mm-hmm. as possible so the last machination that was kind of working through my head as we went through all of this and i'm going to throw out there as sort of a left field option because Solshire has always preferred to go with fred and scott for the big games that's what i was saying i think there's a chance we see fred and scott together and then pogba on the as the way. one on the right on the right on the right yeah because they'll keep rashford on the left they'll keep rashford on the left yeah because I think the last time we saw Pogba on the right was against Liverpool. Was he not on the left there? I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But whenever I, I thought, whenever Paul Pogba played on the wing, I thought he played on the left wing. But regardless, he's versatile enough to play either left or right. And I think, right. as you pointed out, Rashford's found his sort of comfort zone there on the left wing. That's not changed what, is, what isn't broken. So mm-hmm. I agree with you. I, I actually like that lineup better than what you, you first put out with. I like the fact that Fred and McTominay are there at the back. As long as Fred's not taking Pogba's, Pogba's spot in the squad. Right. I hope that's enough creativity to break down what Tottenham will, will sort of set up there at the back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that injection of Paul, Paul Pogba a little bit higher up the field, linking up with Bruno, linking up with potentially Cavani and Rashford. I think that that's intriguing to me at the very least. And it probably is their best bet to break down what should be a pretty sturdy Tottenham back eight, back 12, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good note to wrap this up on. Michael Sam, why don't you tell us where people can find your work? Uh, okay, yeah, wakeintheread.com, of course, I'm there covering Toronto FC, Canada soccer, um, Toronto FC season starting, they actually just kicked off yesterday, so, you know, they're just getting going, and it's going to be an exciting year for Toronto FC, so I'm on the beat there, and you can find all my work there, uh, I do a lot of stuff on Twitter, so follow me on Twitter, at michaelsing94, we, I do some stuff with Footy Talk, so I do a lot of multimedia content with them as well. So you'll see some videos come out of me just, uh, you know, chatting some Canada soccer, TFC, and I'm actually doing a little bit of Manchester United stuff as well. So catch me there at Footy Talks. And I think that that's about it right now in terms of the soccer side of things. You got all the Canadian soccer covered, man. Uh, yeah, make sure you're following Michael Singh on Twitter. Get all the latest on TFC. That's going to wrap it up for this episode. A reminder, we are on Twitter and Instagram at RedCouchManx. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and join us after every match. Reviews and ratings are greatly appreciated. On behalf of Carl and myself and Mikey for today, thank you for listening to Red Couch Manx.